Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I'm Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by Todd McGowan. Todd, how are you, buddy? Hi, Ryan. I'm really good. How are you? I am well. So l- let's cut all the bullshit, because this is a big... It'll be in the title, and this is a... This is a this would be a, a big episode. I big think. episode for us. Is it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe p- possibly the first of three. We'll see how this how this recording goes. I think um, three if it doesn't go totally awry, right? If it okay, oh, uh, yeah. awry, ah, awry, a, a keyword, a, a keyword. Uh, author of Looking Awry, among yes. many many other books, uh, Slavoj Zizek joined uh, you uh, in your kitchen. In my Sorry. kitchen, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. for a uh, for a conversation. Now uh, you talked. For about, I will let you get into the. Um, you said this before we talked. About, I'm going to take your joke. I'm going to let you get into the uh, conditions of the production, to uh, of of that, uh, of of the conversation uh, in in a second. But um, you talked. You sat down for about a half hour, um, and like this is more closer to forty minutes. He said, "Let's do a half hour." Then I said. We're at a half hour. I signaled him. He said, no, 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 no. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> so we have cut that single conversation that the two of you did. I was not present uh, up into um, three chunks. And what we're going to do is uh, lead into each uh, section because um, the conversation is just fascinating. Uh, but there are a lot of terms and ideas and that he throws out rapid fire and moves through that do require setup, even for dedicated listeners, even for dedicated readers of um, him, I would even say right. uh, among right. other, other uh, theorists. Um, so we're going to set up each section and then have a conversation about what the two of you talked about. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. And now for a little like behind the curtain, the uh, what were the, the, the conditions uh, under, under which uh, this, this was recorded. So Slavoj came to the University of Vermont where he comes, I don't know, what does he come, maybe every other year, something like that, every third year, just to come see us, give a talk. We've known him, Hillary and I, that is, for 20 years or so, and so it's very generous of him, and we try to give him a little money, but at times, I should say, he's come with no money, and he's never asked for any money, so that's a little, he often gets portrayed as someone who doesn't do anything for money, but he really... As far as I've ever known, has a complete disdain for anybody who's money grubbing or cares yeah. about that in the slightest mm. degree. So, absolutely no concern for that. So, anyway, we nonetheless try to make it worth his while for coming because he's coming <laughs> sure. way out of his way. He's coming a That's long way. In this case, though, he came on his way to the Jordan Peterson debate. Right. Okay. Which was so, pretty interesting. Yeah. So, he came and talked here on Hegel, which mm. was a great talk for, and I think I've posted it on YouTube. Um, so he ta- came and talked here on Hegel and then the next day after his talk, which was two days before the Peterson debate, two or three days, mm-hmm. uh, we had a little one-on-one interview that you just, you just know, made mention of that, um, mm-hmm. where I got to talk to him about first about Hegel, then about Marx and then about Lacan. It was originally going to be, this was kind of interesting. It was going to originally be me. I said, I just want to interview you just a couple questions. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. And then we get we sit down and he goes, "Can you give me a piece of paper?" And I'm hmm. like, well, "Yeah, but why do you need a piece of paper?" He's like, "Just just give me a piece of paper." So he takes a piece of paper, starts drawing these strange shapes. He's like, "Now I'm ready. I'm going to ask you some questions." <laughs> <laughs> so the first, the discussion of Hegel, which we're going to give you in a later episode, yeah. was him ask interviewing me about Hegel rather right. than me interviewing him. Which was unfortunate because I thought I had some pretty good questions on Hegel <laughs> that I wanted to ask him, but uh, and but. As you'll hear from the interviews, uh, it's mostly even when he's interviewing me, it's mostly him, 
him talking. So right. it's not Which, like he he asks a question and then says, yeah. "Oh, Todd, what do you think?" In fact, one time I'm responding to him, I'm like, "Sorry to interrupt you." He's like, "But I said, could you maybe let me finish?" And he's yeah. like, "Oh, sure, sure." It's uh, um, I said this to you. I'm going to say it here. It's adorable because he's so excited to talk to you about it that he doesn't let you talk. He doesn't let you talk. Well, I think you know he, that's the way he is. He just yeah. it's hard for him to to. Because I think you're right. He's excited to talk. Yeah. He has a lot of ideas that he wants to communicate. And it's, it's, and you know, it also fits into his obsession, right? It fits right, into right. his obsessive, like any silence for him is, is silence is death. And so he right. wants to avoid any moments of silence. But anyway, mm-hmm. so this, mm-hmm. this was the, what precipitated this line of questioning, which we're going to get to today, which is centers almost entirely around Marx, mm-hmm. was. Actually, the title of the Peterson debate, which I was, I have to say that I, along with many of his other friends, was was a little bit, maybe more, a little bit is too soft, but wary <laughs> of him entering yeah. into, just because it seemed to us like it legitimated Peterson. Right. It, it's like, I think a pretty good, there's a pretty good example. I, I don't know if I talked to you about this, but um, I, I heard some other people talking about this on like another podcast I listened to that like the guardian has had a series where they try to get uh, two people on different sides of a, of a, of a debate to, to people on different ideological poles right. and they put them together to have a conversation. And the, wh- I don't know if this was the inaugural episode, but it was one of them where they had uh, representatives of the proud boys, the, you know, the Nazis basically the right. And, and right. Um, then people representing Antifa, which is certainly not an organization in the same way the proud boys are. An right, organization. Right, okay. Right. And this person, I forget who it was for the guardian was setting up the like, okay, just explaining each side what they believe in. Okay. And you know, they're talking about like anti-fascism. Okay. Like being anti-fascist. Okay. Being, uh, you know, being against, uh, capital, you know, obviously feminist, uh, like, like being against, you know, Trump and, uh, the, this like violent right wing, uh, turn in a lot of global politics. Right. And then the Proud Boys, and they got into some of the things that they believe, which I don't know if you know this, but one of the things, they all take a pledge to not masturbate because the, they, they believe there's some, like, force, some, like, essential force in, in each man's body, and then you've got to keep it in. Well, they're precious bodily fluids. They're precious bodily yeah, fluids, yeah, yeah, to yeah. quote. So, yeah. so what they've done is they've, uh, just in the very nature of putting these two sides together is you've uh, like equivocated as, as again, as being like, uh, again, as, as like in, in trying to find a middle space, what you've done is you've equivocated people who are against fascists and people who believe in magic come. And right, like, right, right. and that's that the gesture of finding a quote, finding middle ground between these quote, two opposite sides does a tremendous service to the people who believe in, you know, magical bodily fluids. No, that, Brian, it's a great point. I think that, that, and I think that was the fear about the Peterson debate was yeah. that it all yeah. of a sudden like shifted the terrain. Right. That's what you're talking about, the way in which the making the two sides equivalent shifts the terrain to the right. It exactly. just does. Like oh, that's what it does always. because yeah. always does. Right. And so I feel like that was the danger of it. I, I'm not sure that I, 
And, and, you know, I think that was a lot of the attacks that came out of it from mm-hmm. Jacobin, from Guardian yeah. itself, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. uh, launched us an attack, which is ironic given yeah, that they funny. did this other thing. Yeah. Um, afterwards, they, there was a few, several attacks along these lines. But I actually think, I couldn't listen to the whole thing just for psychic reasons, but um, <laughs> I, I think that um, from what I did listen to, I feel like that did not come to pass and that, no, that no. basically Slavoj was able to make some incisive points that Peterson ended up capitulating to. Yeah. Um, but the, the one thing Inclu- I would say yeah. is that, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, including, I think this is this is the most important thing. If any, I'm sure our listeners were aware of the debate. Maybe they, they followed it on Twitter. Maybe they watched it. All, all you really need to know, I think this is the, the key point, is that Slavoj got Peterson to agree that you cannot will yourself to be happy, which is the entire point of him as a person, that you just right. can do right. that, and that, right. and that right. uh, outside circumstances like government <laughs> or or ideology do do not exist that's his whole point that's it, peterson's it, whole point. that's peterson's whole yeah, point yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. slavoy got him not just to agree something that contradicts his whole i'm not even going to give it the dignity of calling it philosophy but his entire position but it's just something that like i just think like utterly undermines it in just a, a fatal way absolutely absolutely yeah. so so that that's a key thing but i think the other key thing is that he got him to see that the he got he was able to explain a little bit about Hegelian dialectics to a larger I, audience and yeah. to Peterson himself, which Peterson seemed to be become himself a kind of a fanboy at times because <laughs> he just thinks that Marx is the tenth. I mean, because he just hasn't. Right, uh, right, in the right. and I'll just say this like in in thinking that because I because I was with you and and other I guess and and. And other friends of, uh, of 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 Zizek and thinking that it was, you know, not a good idea in the like the Guardian thing like, that just the very the very fact of putting the two of them together and expressing some kind of equivalency just did such a favor to Peterson that like Slavoj could not emerge with any credit. That is what I thought. Right. And it, as it turns out, like the depth to which. Like Peterson really didn't know what he was talking about. I, I, it was something that I, uh, I I did not expect. <laughs> right, <laughs> even, and I th- he, yeah, he, even no, as someone th- who doesn't think much of him, I I, I didn't uh, yeah uh, yeah it right. was surprising. M- me either. I think that's a great point, and I, I I would say that also that the that I think a lot of Peterson followers were intrigued enough by Slavoj afterward that they started to read something other things by him. So I think in that sense, that's a victory for him. I get the only thing that I feel a little bit, um, you know, I don't know, troubled about by the end of it. And it, mm. it, it actually is the thing that troubled me maybe most about the beginning is that, mm. you know, Peterson starts out on this thing where I, I, I found Zizek's work too hard to understand. So I'm just going to attack Marx and the communist manifesto. Right. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now there I, and, and then he gives this kind of, attack on the manifesto which anyone could do because it certainly should be attacked but mm-hmm. he never delves into capital which is obviously where the meat of the the meat on the bones is but yeah, um, yeah. but okay so but the problem i think is that slavoy sort of set him up self up for that by choosing this happiness the debate was happiness capitalism versus communism mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so i realized or was it marxism whichever Mar- it was marxism but, yeah, yeah. marxism yeah even worse so i feel like that that taking the side of Marxism really, really, really opened him up to that kind of 
critique of Communist Manifesto and also identified him with Marx in a way that I think if you read anything that he's written, he's not identified with Marx. And so right. that right. was really the basis of my question. And I was trying, and, and I did say to him, and you know, it's not that he followed my advice. I'm sure he had this idea going forward, but that, that you really distancing yourself from Marx should be a main project of the debate. And, and mm. that's what he did. And, and I, but what was interesting to me was that he even chose to, to debate under the banner of Marxism because right, that was right, the right. banner he was under. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, that leads directly to your first question in the clip we're going to play. Um, I'm wondering if, do you want to, um, yeah, let's cover a couple of the concepts. Let's cover a couple concepts first. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah, so yeah. before we get to the clip, there are, um, two, two concepts that come up that I think, um, require a little bit of background on to understand exactly what, um, Slavoj is saying and what the two of you are talking about and why you're talking about it. Um, and they both come from, uh, Hegel. Um, the first one is the, uh, the owl of Minerva. Right. So this is from the preface to the philosophy of right. So toward the end of the preface, second to last paragraph, I think, mm-hmm. Hegel says, has, says this, this is one of his most famous lines, the owl of Minerva takes flight only with the falling of dusk. Okay. And so his point with that is that philosophy can't give practical political advice, basically, mm-hmm. that, that its insights come after political action, not before. So that's the, mm-hmm. that's the basic Hegelian idea. Is that... And that Oh no, because I'm because uh, I haven't read that, and I knew the yeah. I knew the quote, but I hadn't thought about this. Um, when we talked about the preface to Phenomenology of Spirit, you prefer, and I think um, most people do prefer that um, not the Miller translation, but the one before where the Bailey, yeah, about spirit, which uh, emerges only after right. The life of spirit gains to its truth only when it finds itself radically torn asunder. Torn yeah. asunder is like torn asunder. There's something similar in that logic, is there not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. That's right. That that it's only after the political action where you experience this feeling of being torn asunder that you mm-hmm. gain to you win to your truth. Yeah, that's yeah. a great. I've never made that connection before, Ryan. That's a really great. That's I, a really I th- great insight. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I th- I think that there's something. I think there's something there too about um uh I, something we I think we talked about with um uh with Paul. Um, and one of the previous podcasts about like, like this is about, and Slavoj talks about this too, that this is about the difficulty of the, of the, the day after in like right, political right, imagination. Right, right, right. And I, and I, I think that, um, it, I, I don't know. Like, I, I wonder if, um, I wonder if perhaps we get too caught up in the, like, actually, no, I, I'm going to answer my, my question. We totally, especially the left gets gets far too caught up about like, well, what's going to happen after the revolution? And you need to have step by steps. And the left always needs to have policies and it needs to be stamped out. And it needs to be like, like ABC. And when Republicans want to give tax breaks to rich people, it's like, ah, it'll pay for itself because right, of the market. Right. And then when it doesn't, right. it's like, oh, we'll just get rid of entitlements. And then right. when that's a problem, it's like, we'll just prioritize it. Like, right. You know, they never right. have to do that. It's only a burden on the left. Um, right. So anyway, so I wonder if, if, if uh, this would be a way that, that we would say the, the left is not uh, Hegelian enough, but in, in sort of embracing the like the radicality of, uh, of retroactivity. Of the, break, of the yeah. cut, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's true. I think it's true. And then so the other and that's really good. And then the other the other one is that um, this oh. idea that. Truth. Substance. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, we were both going to say the same thing. That, <laughs> That's okay. That, that um, truth is not is not only is 
not just substance, but also as subject. We understand the, coming to understand the truth not just as substance, but also as subject. That is mm-hmm. to say, that everything that we think is substantial. So by so Hegel's using substantial in the philosophical sense of something that's independent and autonomous. So it doesn't okay. require anything else to exist. So if substance is also subject, and subject means it's divided, it's, mm-hmm. it's that it and, and thus dependent on something else. So if every substance is also subject, that mm-hmm. means that the thing that we think is totally autonomous and independent mm-hmm. is actually also divided and dependent. And so that's a way of another way of saying that would be that we have to think of God not just as God, but also as Christ, as the crucified Christ. Right? right? Like right. that's the that's the connection. Like you can't think of those two things separate. You have to think of them mm-hmm. as one. Mm-hmm. And so that would be. That's that idea of you're you're you can't there's no truth outside of this division of subjectivity that's pure. There's no mm-hmm. truth that's pure, there's no being that's pure. Every mm-hmm. being has this impurity, this division within it. That's very, very clear. <laughs> I okay. Think, okay. I so think that's, that's great. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, so that, that's, that's the idea of Hegelian dialectics, and that's the idea that he says a couple times in the preface of phenomenology that we understand substance as subject and that's the that's the idea that's th- the idea of it and this i think is worth um uh pointing out like again for i know a lot of people uh, and friends of mine too who have tried to get into um uh zizek's work um i think find it difficult because it and and this this i think is is, is really the hard thing is that like it's not really clear why he's saying what he's saying I really think that's what it is, and I think it's hard for people to to come to that because they're confused at the sentence level. But right. but like why and where is the argument coming from? And I think what you just laid out, uh, it's important to remember or to know if maybe you didn't know this that like uh, Slavoj's career begins with um, a reading, and it continues to be like I mean up to like uh, recent books, it continues to be a um, a a reading of Lacan as a repetition of Hegel, but not right. an exact repetition because that would be uninteresting. And it right. like, you know, your, your example should never, I, I think that Slavoj is really good about this is that he always uses pop culture examples to like, for, to um, extend like Lacanian concepts or Hegelian concepts. But the point is that like, it's never one-to-one like you, you know, he, you know, he references Stephen King all the time, but like, you know, he would never say that like, if you read all of Stephen King, you don't ever have to read Lacan. That's just like simply not, that's not the point is that like the example, it's like a 90% so that it helps you get there to understand what he's saying. And then the 10% that you don't, well, that sort of tension, that, that schism, that's where sort of the theoretical work, uh, occurs. And, and so it's interesting. I'll just, I'll bring it back to what you just said. So Hegel's belief in, uh, in, in theorizing of a divided subject is not exactly the same as Lacan's, but that is a primary concept of Lacan, the divided right, subject. Right, right, absolutely, right, right. Well, it's interesting, too. It's also the divided substance as a primary concept. So, so that's <laughs> right. Lacan's idea that the big other doesn't exist. So both okay. ideas get repeated in Lacan. But I think you're exactly right that the repetition is not an exact repetition precisely because the original is itself not original, right? The original is a failure. And so what gets repeated is the failure. And so I think the, so, so what happens is uh, something new arises in, in the way in which we repeat because 
what was repeated was never successfully done in the first place. Right. And so right. I think that's the that's the key to this idea of repetition. But I really love your idea that that maybe his greatest insight was to see Lacan as a repetition of Hegel in a way that Lacan himself would have been absolutely oblivious to. Right, absolutely. Right, because yeah, yeah. right. we talk about this, and we'll talk about this whenever we do the Lacan Zizek interview, because that mm-hmm. he he brings this up that, that Lacan's reading of Hegel is really bad, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad. And yeah. so that's, but what's interesting about that is it's it's precisely the points where he doesn't think he's repeating Hegel that he does, but he mm-hmm. never repeats them exactly. Right, right. And, th- and this we got into um, in the, our episode on the preface to the Phenomenology of Spirit, where like that is one of Hegel's, I think, for me, one of the most inspiring principles is that like to understand something wrongly it is it's not just important, but it, like it's crucial and it's like it's primary and you need right. it. And you don't right. you don't move from the wrong understanding to the right understanding and you ditch the wrong understanding. It's like you need to maintain that wrong, that wrongness. And, and that helps, you know, uh, thought uh, and, and, and theory rise from uh, have been ripped asunder, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's absolutely right. It's absolutely yeah. right. And Lacan says the same thing. He's like, don't try to understand too quickly, right? Like, yeah. don't try to understand too quickly. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's the misunderstanding that really helps in, in facilitating the proper understanding. And I don't know if anyone's ever taught or been in a classroom, you would you understand this because if someone, if you're within a classroom where someone just knows all the right answers right away, it's right. terrible. And yeah. the teacher will do whatever they can <laughs> never to call on that person. Yeah, you yeah. want someone to say the wrong answer in a yeah. productive way, right. not someone to say the right answer right away. And I think that's exactly what both Hegel and Lacan have in common against a whole host of other thinkers who mm-hmm. who want to either do two things. They either want to persist in saying all there is is error and that's sophistry, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. they want to get too quickly to truth and that's a diff- that's the opposite. That's a, I would call a psychotic error, right? So there's yeah, these, two, yeah. these two opposite errors that I think a lot of other thinkers, theorists, philosophers make and that they don't make. Mm, I think that's great. I think, um, I think that's enough setup. Okay, um, a lot for- of setup. That's a lot of setup. It's a lot of setup. Um, so uh, right here, um, we are going to, well, you and I are going to break away, and then you're going to come back uh, with a question. Uh, for Slavoy. For Slavoy, yeah. Yep. Why do you feel like you have, you, and you do this all the time, why do you feel like you have to identify yourself as a Marxist? Is that, is that because there's something, is it just because of the critique of political economy that's missing in Hegel, or do you feel like there's not a, Political no, I'm more and more open here. Okay. I even, in my last book, talk about the materialist reversal of Marx. Okay. Okay. Back, I always repeat this point that precisely because, precisely by, and you write about this, because of the closure of Hegel's system, it's the only consistent absolute form of openness. Right. While Marx is still all too teleological for me. Marx still is in this logic. We are now at the lowest point, but if you do the right thing, there will be this great reversal and so on, whatever. And he's also, I think, in another way, wholly idealist because he thinks his intervention, which will foment class consciousness, mm-hmm. will itself, that will be... I agree with you here. I will say something horrible in the eyes of Marxists because uh, I think that precisely this is our situation today. 
some of my friends like Badiou and so on, are still searching for the ideal revolutionary subject which will finally act, play this role of Marxist proletarians. They have nothing, they want to become all. And, I'm, and they even look for it, that's why Badiou coined the term uh, uh, nomadic proletarians, right, right, you know, right, right, right. in the immigrants. For me, this is the ultimate utter cynicism. Like, we have the good theory, and now we will outsource the subject, the revolutionary agent. No, I think this identification of nomadic immigrants as the future agents of proletarian revolution, it absolutely doesn't work. We can play because. So what would be the what would be the what would be the cost of of more or less politically jettisoning Marxism and Marx? And then this my other question for you is why do you feel the need to defend Gulag or to de, to to defend you know the the where did I do that? Be well, more precise. Well, no, no, but I mean like to, to admit that it's an error of the left. And no, do the, I, no, no, no. I I I'm. Absolutely ready to admit it. Not only this, I also I'm absolutely obsessed in a negative sense by this Trotskyite way yeah, of yeah. like their dream. Although they wouldn't put it like this. If only Lenin were to live three, four years more, the right they would have picked the right guy, Trotsky, on forever. Yeah. Are people aware? Now we are in more political matters. Some new books on Trotsky, Lenin, Stalin convinced me. How popular Stalin's solution was. Look, in the early 20s, after no, mid 20s, right. what was the situation? Desperate. You know that in early 20s, the industrial power of Soviet Union, it so much was destroyed after 10 terrible years of World War I, civil war, and so on. You know that only 20% of the industry survived. It was a nightmare. So imagine ordinary people. Don't jump to later Stalin. Now, 10 years of nightmare horror. Now Trotsky comes and says, permanent revolution, the nightmare has to go on. And Stalin comes and says, no, comrades. We have to, like, take a break, develop calmly socialism in our own country, don't, no, no new emergence. Stalin's message was an end with this crazy revolutionary dynamics. Life should somehow return, and these were mid and late 20s, right, before yeah. collectivization and yeah, so on. Yeah. A, a breathing space of normal life, no, Trotsky didn't have a chance here. His message, what ho- his message to the people was horrible. Ten years of hell, no peace, guys. Let's go on with the hell. Yeah. It's time. This doesn't in any way redeem Stalin. He was a nightmare. But uh, one has to understand the, again, a genuine popularity of Stalin at that point. At that point, economically, Stalin was with Bukharin, the so-called right-wingers. I know. We need to allow, and people ignore this and so on. It's much, even the collectivization in the late 20s, that's why we need really a new Hegel to analyze this twist. You know what's the big lesson here? I've written about it. Here I agree with you back from Marx to Hegel. 
for Marx, this dialectic of the cunning of reason, you do something, the result is the opposite. Marx thought this is the dialectic of alienated history. And that with the proletarian revolution, it's over. You do something, and at the same time, you know exactly what you are doing. It's self-transparency and so on. If we've learned something from the 20th century, it's no. The same tragic dialectic of you want a great thing, you screwed it up totally, holds also for proletarian. Yeah, but that's, I think that's why Hegel's, the the Al of Minerva, idea that Marx, I think, rejects, it holds, that holds, right? Like Absolutely. That. So that That's makes... why this, you will enjoy this, I hope. I wrote uh, in a text, short published only in German, I think, where I would prefer to leave, no? <laughs> I chosen Svalbard Islands, those crazy halfway to North yeah, Pole. Yeah. And I said that I agree with Hegel, the all of Minerva, but in winter there, the all of Minerva, you have half a year of this darkness. <laughs> the place to think, you know. It's not that this all two hours in the evening. That's the place to, to think there. No, no, I, I, I agree with you here. I mean, we absolutely have to admit the same, even more tragic, maybe. Because Marx's great example is uh, Jacobin's radical revolution, the result is the vulgarity of ordinary bourgeois society, what Jacobins despised most. But if anything, with communist revolution, it was even worse. So, yes, a paradoxical answer would have been that uh, I plead guilty, but nonetheless not simply guilty. You were right to point out how I nonetheless think that what Marx did in Capital is a great extension, expansion of no, Hegel. Yes. But there is, as I like to point out, a certain fundamental ambiguity in this gesture of Marx, which then drags on in the entire Western Marxism. On the one, are people aware how opposed they are? Young Lukacs on the one side, Adorno, Marcuse, on the other side. For young Lukács, and I'm here even more on his side, Hegel's uh, uh, proletarian revolution is Hegel's reconciliation of substance and subject in its actual form. So for him, Hegel's dialectic is a dialectic of liberation. But for later Adorno and so on, Hegel's logic is the ideal version of the logic of the capital. Right. Capital is the ultimate subject as substance. So, as Mar- appropriation. Of, yeah, of yeah, and all that. Right. So, for these uh, Marxists, uh, 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 as Marcuse in some of his late writings put it openly, the passage from capitalism to communism is the passage from dialectics to a post-dialectical society. They should totally step out of the very space of dialectics. Because and dialectics is associated with capitalism. With capital, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Marx, I think, is ambiguous here. Some signs, there are some signs in capital where he uses Hegelian terms to describe the passage from money to capital and so on. That is this second version. But at the same time, at least in Grundrisse, those pre-capitalist modes, yeah, yeah. the entire scheme is Hegelian. Yeah. So I think, again, this is uh, 
Another great problem in Marx, this doesn't make Marx any smaller as a thinker, but we have to admit Marx didn't resolve right, the it's problem. Right, tension internally with him. It's ab- an absolute right. internal tension, you know, and it's too easy for people to praise how some anti-Stalinists claim that, but that's Marx's greatness. He didn't engage in any dreams about communist society. Yeah, but this is not only a good thing, because in this way, then Stalin was glad to (laughs) feel in this void. Okay, we're back. We're back on the other side. Um, And we got a lot to talk about. So um, I think the first thing to talk about is just your first question, which again refers back to the um, the climate uh, at the time that you interviewed him, which was before the Peterson debate. The pre-Peterson debate. Right. Pre-Peterson debate. And right. uh, you asked him why identify as a Marxist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, I don't think he answers that question directly, but he answers that, I think he, he thoroughly answers that question. Uh, and, and, or maybe the question that he actually answers is like, why is Marx relevant and, right. and, and why do we need to keep thinking with Marx and why do we need to think the limits and problems of Marx? I think that might be uh, what, what, you know, the two of you got into in that, that section. Right. I think, yeah, I think he does. It's interesting because I don't, I, I left his answer with my same question. <laughs> like I, 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 I mean, I thought it was a really interesting and provocative answer. And I think he's right to say that the, I thought he identified nicely all the problems with Marx, right? right. Like the teleological nature of yes. Marx, and, and which mm-hmm. Hegel doesn't have. Mm-hmm. I thought the idea of like of Marx believing in a self transparency that Hegel doesn't mm-hmm. believe in. So I, I, but I, I, maybe you can help me with understanding. Or did you glean from what he said uh, an answer to that? Why I cling to the signifier of Marxism because he did yeah. look. He did cling to it in yeah. the debate, at least, right? Yeah. So I think, I think the answer why is uh, it may be close to what we were talking about on the on the other side of the of the clip is that like to cling to it because it is imperfect. And I guess the problem, like so this is something that kind of came up in your different conversations. And we might talk about this different times, but like I, um, one of my like most important, um, I don't know, tenets as a, as a scholar and as a, as a theorist. And one of the things that I try to, to put to work when, when we talk is that I think that, um, theory, if you're going to call something theory always has, uh, inscribed in it a practice. Like, it's not like you and I are going to do this for a couple years and then we're going to have a podcast called why practice, Right. And and suddenly it's going to be like putting to work all, all of the theory. Like, I don't think there's there's no split at all. Like right. the, there is, you know, why? Why does Mitch McConnell do, does what he does? It's because there's a, there's a theory. Uh, it's not certainly not Hegelian or, or anything that we would talk about on this podcast necessarily. But like it's 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 it, it proceeds from thought and right. then it right. is action like it is utterly inseparable. Um, right. So I there are times, however, and or I think we're going to come up against uh, some of them in the different parts where I, I think maybe I'll phrase it this way, where maybe sometimes the point works too well, simply in abstraction and doesn't rise to what I would call theory where it like works in practice. Because I think the reason to cling to, to Marx, given what he said, given the debate, I think the reason to cling to the, the banner of Marxism is just that it's imperfect an imperfect moniker. And I, wonder if that does enough 
in practice. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I guess I don't, th- I mean, this comes back to our signifier for the left yeah, yeah, debate yeah. that we had. And I, I, I guess I, I just, like, I don't feel like, I mean, I guess it's trying to, look, what does it do? It, 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 and I think this is what he would say, that Marx's critique of political economy is unsurpassed. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what he would say. And that and he also did say this in our discussion that Hegel has a very very limited understanding of what capitalism is. Yes. And hence he can't really to say that you're launching a Hegelian anti-capitalism. I think he would almost say that barely makes sense because Hegel doesn't have a really good sense of what capitalism really is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you can't that there's really no way to do that. And so I, I, I mean, I, I think he, what he would say is instead we need an unteleological Marxism, right? One that's yeah. not tied to a teleology. I still have problems with that, but at least I do understand that makes, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I, I don't know. I guess that just the, the, and this, is this an argument for something that the paucity <laughs> of alternatives yeah, yeah, is yeah. maybe part of what his argument for it is, or just, and I keep coming back to this, or it's just that in terms of the economic critique of capital, Marx really gets a lot of it right. And so to say that you're not invoking that Marxist critique, that doesn't make any sense. Although I guess I wanted to, what I would want to do would be to separate politics from economics in a way that I think maybe he would say you can't do that. Mm. You know, you know, he would just say that you can't really do it. But I would want to say like, okay, I accept that the Marxist critique of economics makes a lot more sense than anything Hegel has to say about capitalist economics, which is almost nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that politically Marx kind of misses the, misses the boat because he, for one thing, he barely talks about politics. Mm -hmm at all when he's in his advanced stage, right? Like there's all the political discussion comes earlier. Like Peterson makes fun of like communist manifesto, but even, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even, you know, the analysis of how politics works in the 18th Brumaire, et cetera. 18th like, Brumaire, yeah, that's a big But one. that's all much yeah. earlier than the, mm-hmm. like that's even before Grandrissa. So it's much earlier than the, the writing, the dis, the critique of capital. So I don't think, and, and there's- So the, it's, it's actually separated in his thought like the the politics Temporally. from the from the yeah yeah yeah, yeah from the, from the yeah. economical yeah 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 interestingly right like so german ideology which has the most famous articulation of what the communist future will be like you know the mm-hmm. hunter in the morning uh, whatever critic in the afternoon yeah right um that's 85 mm-hmm. so i'm oh, sorry that's 1845 85 that's the funniest <laughs> i can put two together put, it's 1845 yeah. mm-hmm. um uh Whereas, you know, capital is, what, 17 years after that? So mm-hmm. so that's a lot, there's a big time gap between those two things. Like the, the actual analysis of capitalism comes far, far later. So I, I don't know. I mean, do I, you think, I, do you think I, that's the biggest, I, I like, cause uh, I mean, this is a little bit in your conversation with him that we, that we just played, but also I think this is coming out in our like kind of gloss on it. Like, is that the, is that the biggest problem with reading Marx in 2019 is that you have to put together those two halves and they don't fit. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think that, I think that there, I think that there is no, and you know, Slavoj says this about Marx as a philosopher Mm -hmm. in what we discussed, you know, that there's no, 
that there's no real he just relies on very naive philosophical concepts. Right, yeah, he does say that. He doesn't he, he, he's he doesn't quoting Jean-Luc Nancy, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true, but I think that's also true about the politics. Like I think that there's <laughs> no there's no real sense of what political action will do or and this would be the key for me, what it will mm-hmm. accomplish. And then Slavoj mm-hmm. says, you know, there's all these people that say that's the genius of Marx that he left this opening. And he goes like, but that you could just say the opposite, that that's yeah, the right, opening right. left for where Stalin filled it in. But yeah. I, I'm tempted to say that there even is a, I, I guess, I think that's one possibility, that there's too much of a, of a, of a lacuna there, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm almost tempted to say that the problem is even in the economic critique that there is, and maybe you don't think this is right, but that, mm-hmm. that there is implicitly a sense that, and he does say this, that, that capitalism is the last antagonistic form of production in human history, right? Yeah. So, so doesn't that imply, doesn't that imply that communism will be a non-antagonistic? Now, I, yeah, I think that it, following that, you, I think I, would, I just have to agree with that, right? Like, I mean, I think that that's, I think that's true. And I think there's something that comes, I guess I don't want to like, I don't want to jump ahead because this comes up in another part of your conversation, but like the, um, he talks uh, in another part of your conversation, you talk about money and the problem of money. And I think that this is, I think this is, this is, uh, gets at this problem exactly that like, okay, so if, uh, if communism is, uh, is then, or sorry, if capitalism is the uh, the the death of antagonism and communism is like is free of antagonism, um, then I think that this is this is my question that I had written down. What's money then? Because something will always be money. It, it, right. If it's not if right. it's not literally money, something will be money. Something and, will function as money, right? And it, and, right. It, and it doesn't and it really doesn't have to be exchanged for goods. It's just like like what is it? Is it like? Is it friggin' Thanos and rings and or not yeah. rings, but you know Infinity Stones like that? Infinity that kind of, like, I know. Is it is it power? Like what? Like what becomes money? Then I th- I think is 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 something that is maybe not is I don't think worked out very well in Marx at all. That like, and and I think this is kind of the point that that Slavoj makes later. That Slavoj's making about in terms of Stalin here, right? Yeah, like that, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that there was this whole question of what's going to function as money. Yeah. In the. In, right in when you've lost eighty percent of industry, right? right so like, right, yeah, right, right. Um, and it turns out to be uh, like despotism. I don't know what 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 becomes what becomes money. No, I think that's a great question. I I do think though that I mean I guess my point would be that the 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 implication. I mean I mean you're right. I mean what you're saying is that money stands in for contradiction, right? Yeah, that money yeah. stands in mm-hmm. because it's both one thing and another, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, it's and at the same time, right? And I think that's. I think that's right, and that's interesting, and, and I think you could even say that the money form is the way in which contradiction, it's the general equivalent, it's the way that, that, that or the commodity form is, and that's the way that contradiction most clearly manifests itself in capitalist society. Yeah. For sure, yeah. but I mean, the, I think the question is like, and I, it's interesting that that question of money so bothered communists and it still does mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. it bothers yeah. you know it's still a question like people want to replace money by labor chits and something but of course <laughs> your point is it's still going to ultimately function as money right yeah right, yeah right, right. yeah um, it makes me think sorry uh, but uh it makes me um think that 
Uh, we talked a little bit about in the signifiers for the left. Um, uh, I talked about um, uh, anarchy, and I and I and I'm a pretty. I'm pretty convinced by the anarchist business model within capitalism. I am right, not right, so right. convinced by it as a general theory of, uh, of government. But I wonder, this is something that I thought about this morning. I wanted well, to, to me, if, if anarchy is an effective business practice, then that just dooms it as a leftist political theory. <laughs> that's pretty, <laughs> that's sorry. Really, really, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. But okay. So this is where I want to, do you, do you think, or, or, I'm going to yeah. put, put this to you like this. If enough, I wonder if even if 1% of popular businesses, like businesses that you and I and, and like most people would like have some interaction with in some form, if yeah. a, a single percent of businesses adopted uh, uh, an anarchist business model, does I, how much does that change the entire system? And the reason why I say this is um, I was thinking about, I saw this article about um, like self-driving cars that like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be um, uh, like a, an entire takeover of self-driving cars, but if there are like ten percent of self-driving cars on, the, like it completely changes the yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, the like safety on the roads, like for, yeah. for everybody. And I was wondering about that with with the anarchist business model. That like if if it is visible enough to be like a single percent, and you can figure that however however you want of right. of, of commodities you enjoy. I gave in the la- in the episode we did this. I gave an example about video games. Okay, right. so that's like so people playing video games. Uh, if they've ever played Dead Cells, you have interacted with an anarchist business model, whether you know it or not. And uh, there's a, a streaming television service called Means TV, and they're getting like some donations. They have this like flat business structure of the anarchist business model, right? Like, if things like that proliferate, does that does that do enough? I wonder, like to to like, to to threaten uh, capitalism in, in enough of a productive way that like it, I don't know that it. Um, No, but I, I would just some say, of the abuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jump yeah, in. no, yeah. I like your. I love this point that that you save one life, you save the world entire. <laughs> this whole yeah, Talmudic yeah, yeah. idea. Yeah, sure. Um, you, you 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 corrupt one business against the capitalist right. way, and you corrupt right, right. corrupt capitalism entire. Um, yeah, I like that idea. Except, I I just think two two things. I would say first of all, yeah. the people would have to know that they're interacting with an anarchist. I think that's business. crucial. You're right. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. secondly, like. Maybe not. Maybe that those anarchist business models work within, just like I was saying before, within capitalism. Yeah. But that they could never be generalized. Like the yeah, very right, right. the very fact that they're effective within proves it, maybe that they couldn't be generalized to make the whole system anarchic. And right, and, right. And but even it so, functions like, because it only because it is a genuine alternative. But right, you need the you need the the general for it to be an alternative, and that's the appeal. Right, but but even that, even okay, even like so let's go to the end. Like, is yeah. anarchy even a anti-capitalist structure? I mean, I mean, it's yeah. anti-hierarchical. Yeah, for sure. But I don't know. I mean, like, is it like it's certainly again like if if the opposite of capitalism is a planned economy? Yeah. Then anarchy is not the opposite. No, that's of capital. That's well, th- I bring this up mostly because um, the. And we, I think it's important to take this at, um, at not I don't want to say not at face value, but it's important to take take uh, these people at their words. And I think it brings it comes into this uh, debate. But a lot of people who do who are like Means TV, this this example I just gave, the yeah. streaming service, they do call themselves post capitalist. Okay, uh, they have a post, and I think that this is what you and Slavoj got into at the end of that clip, 
is about um, the function of dialectics in capitalism and what the role dialectics would play in shaping a post-capitalist society. And I think um, we have some, like, actually existing examples with attempts at thinking uh, post-capitalism. And it is interesting, like, what you just said was that, like, that anarchy as a business model actually fails to be post-capitalist. And maybe this also mirrors Marx's failure to articulate post-capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which does bring us back to the question, uh, why identify as a Marxist? And why keep going back to the signal? Right, I, I, right. And this, this came, this then to, leads to what... I mean, we can come back to this final point, the final question, because I thought that was Slavoj's answer on that one was fascinating. This yeah. whole like Lukacs versus Adorno. And, oh yeah, uh, we should definitely talk about it. It was fascinating, that, that but way. I, I yeah. want to focus a little bit on this because so then I asked him this question, like why identify as Marxist? Then I said, why defend the Gulag? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says to me, point out one place where I ever do it. Be precise. And I'm like, well, but in general, you do. And then he says, no, I don't. And then he goes on to, to basically defend why we should have to defend Stalin. <laughs> right, and then, right, right. And, and I, I mean, I understand. He didn't say why he does it, but I understand why he does it. I, and, but I wanted to get him to say, and I think his reasoning is this, that these were genuine, he thinks, attempts by the left to realize mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, And yeah. we cannot play the beautiful soul and say, oh, mm-hmm. there are no real attempt, like... No one has yeah. ever yet done what yeah, we want right. to do. Our mm-hmm. thing is going to be totally different than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so any realization of it, that's never it. This hysterical, beautiful soul position. Like, mm-hmm. no, 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 we're not Stalin. We're, we would be something different. We're not Mao. We would be something different. We're mm-hmm. not Khmer Rouge. We would be something different. And so he wants to say, no, these were genuine leftist efforts to create a better society. Let's look at why they went wrong and what can we learn from that. And my question was, if you think, this is my view, mm-hmm. Marx, is, Marx is a right-wing deviation from Hegel relative to contradiction, right? Like if, if Hegel's basic idea is that contradiction is absolute, mm-hmm. and if Marx thinks capitalism is the last contradictory mode of production in human history. Meaning it's not absolute and we can get out of it. Exactly. That means that Marx is actually a right turn away from what I see as the radical leftism of the entire German idealist project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that was basically the sense of my question to Slavoj. Mm -hmm. Why then, why couldn't we say, well, wait a minute, when you're talking about the the gulag and all that stuff, like that's that's not a leftist problem. That's this massive misunderstanding of the that's massive wrong detour that the left went down with Marx. Mm, so to try to get not, out of contradiction. To try to get out of contradiction, yeah. which is yeah. the leftist, which is the basic leftist position. Mm. That's really interesting, and and it's it's I think in the attempt, I think in the attempt to distance like contemporary left projects from from Stalin, from Khmer Rouge, right? Uh, yeah. I, it always blows my mind that, that these people, and this mostly, this mostly happens on the, on the internet. Like, I don't know, Elon Musk, like asking democratic socialists to explain like what utopia looks like to them. And like, and you like generates all kinds of arguments or whatever. Right. Um, I, and Peterson does this too. Like he does this. This is like all that he does on the internet is like, 
like explain the the 10 million people killed by uh, uh, Stalin or whatever. I mean, the right. number's probably higher than that. Yeah, you um, undersold it. Yeah. I undersold it, yeah. yeah. The, um, I, and I, like, I, I think, isn't the perfect response like, like, no, I can't, that was a problem. Can you even count the number of people killed by capitalism? Right. But, see, look, but okay, okay, I think that's absolutely true. I, I think that's absolutely true, right? It's 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 innumerable the number of people killed under capitalism. It's but so it, much. It, the, it, but it doesn't stop there because I, I see I know where you're going to go, and I want you to, I want you to to go there. And I, like I'm not because this is the problem where um uh where we haven't said this on a podcast because well this is like people sometimes uh will say about sports that there's too much politics in sports and there is far too much sports in politics where what, <laughs> what I just, what I just said is like, Oh, well you think this Well, bam, now I won and you lost because I, you can't come up with the number of people, uh, like a number higher of people killed by capitalism is way higher. So I won. Yeah. And, and that's uh, like, I think that's kind of where you're going to go. It's like that, that you just sort of get locked in that debate, but I want to hear what your response would well, be. Well, no, my response was going to be, I agree with you. I think that's a really good point about the number of people killed under capitalism, but I would just say, look, that it, 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 the left is not on the side of the. I just would say it's not a competition between Stalin versus capitalism because right. Stalinism actually emerges as a as a attempt to as a right wing reaction to capitalism, right? right like, it, right. like, yeah. like even I mean, I understand that Lenin was a leftist and. And or conceived of himself as a leftist, but I think anyone that starts with the dream of creating a harmonious society free of contradiction mm-hmm. is already infected by what seems to me to be a right wing uh, disease. You know, like they are yeah. th- this idea because that's the that's the dream of the right is yeah, that's can true. we achieve can we overcome contradiction in some way? And I think the great lesson of Hegel. And I think the great lesson of Kant too, because I think Kant just doesn't take it as far as Hegel does. But the great lesson of German idealism is that we can't, that contradiction is absolute, that we can't overcome it. And so pushing, actually pushing in the direction of contradiction, rather than trying to find ways to retreat from it, is mm-hmm. the, that's the leftist project. That yeah. or trying to find ways to overcome it, that's not the leftist. That's the, those are right-wing projects. And so the that's failure what I, to reckon, the failure to recognize that Marx's failure to recognize that in himself, and subsequent leftists' failure to recognize that, exactly. uh, put, puts us in the in the position exactly. where we are now, where exactly. we're where we're having to defend the gulag rather than saying like, no, we're against it too. It's I'm right wing. It too. Right. Yeah, let's let's critique the right wing now, and let's let's if you want to join me, we can we can cr- we right. can critique that right. together. Look, I understand yeah. like that. I, I I get why Slavoj would resist that because it yeah. does seem like. I have no bad then then like oh like you're pure you have no bad guys that yeah, you have to yeah, you yeah. have to account for which I you know fair enough like that's mm-hmm. I don't know what to say to that because um I I guess I I guess what he would say is you've merged morality and politics together yeah, like yeah, you've yeah. you know mm-hmm. you've made it so that nobody you know you never have these crimes to have to but I actually I mean I I guess I would just plead guilty to that I would say yeah <laughs> like I I feel like that's what that's what leftism is. It's it's it, it is it does have an ethical core to it, precisely because of its focus on on sustaining contradiction, and then that and 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 that that's the thing that we have to not betray. And it, and, and mm. if there were betrayals of it, then we should denounce them yeah. and not 
and not try to say like, oh, this is just the problem that happened because we were trying to work out a leftist solution. I mean, I do, I do like what he says in, in our little discussion where he's like, look, you can't say, you can't look back and say, oh, if only Trotsky, people had listened right. to Trotsky. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's such nonsense, right? And so I think that's, I think he's right to think along those lines. But I just think it doesn't, that I would just say. That point was very good. That, like the permanent revolution. That who? No one's going to sign up for that. Like especially, right. especially right. historically, like in, in, in the way he, he lays out. Like after, right. after World it, War One, after Civil War, right. after after industry has been total totally ripped asunder. To go back to, uh, right. yeah, right. that phrase. Right. But no, yeah, no, no. who's who's right. gonna who's gonna sign up for that? Right, but this. Like, so let's come to the last two questions that we we talked about. So the, the first one was this, and this is we we quoted this right before we broke for the interview. But the mm-hmm. the idea of the owl of Minerva takes flight only with the falling of dusk. Right, mm-hmm. that theory can't give advice to politics, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It, that seems to me to be a an interesting one and and a hard one because, um, I think for Hegel he believes that absolutely and that's why there's no he doesn't unlike Marx I mean Marx has a lot says a lot more about politics than Hegel mm-hmm. does you know so I wonder and I don't think Slavoj I, I think his view is that that's an untenable position by Hegel although he'll oftentimes come back to it you know like when he'll say people want us to to come up with a you know it's not now's not the time to think now is the time to act and also no no right. no think 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 and it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's again this idea from Hegel that what we need is more theorizing not but we can't tell not ways of telling us what to do you know and I I, I don't know I think it's a tough that's a tough question I feel like well yeah I, I mean that goes back to the um I don't has I don't know that Slavoj has written this anywhere but I've heard him say say it a lot that uh like he reverses the uh Thesis the eleven. Fi- the, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that the you know uh, if, if philosophers have heretofore attempted to um, understand the world. The point is to change it, and he reverses it. Say like philosophers have always tried to change the world. The point is to understand it. Yeah, it's and actually. I think Maladin Delar wrote an essay on that, and Slavoj has just plagiarized it without acknowledgement. That right? all this time. Oh, that's super funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But only, only talking. He's never, he's never written. Them. He's never written but, anything. Yeah, yeah. That that's pretty funny. Okay, so so it comes so it comes from Maladin. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's the. I mean, I I, I think that's like like one of the um, uh. The re- like that idea, I think, is like one of the reasons for this like podcast to exist is, um, and I think that absolutely, and I think that it's, um, it's interesting to locate then in Marx. I mean, and as uh, Maladin and Slavoj do nicely with with um, the thesis eleven, that uh, the limit in Marx to theorize, and that maybe we've just been. We've been thinking about it wrong because and like mainstream left is like it hasn't been actualized properly. And maybe the, the point, I think that this is, this is a good one, um, that we would all three of us agree, uh, me, you, Slavoj, but for different reasons, is that the, the failure has been to to think. Right. And, right. and, and, and but not, not the failure hasn't been to actualize revolution. The failure has been to um, to think it. Right. And, I think uh, it's to, absolutely to right, it. Brian. Yeah. It's a great point. Like, like. You know, think about think about how the right gets its position articulated by a very mediocre thinker, Anne Rand. Like yeah, she gives yeah. she gives a beautiful defense and formulation of capital, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a like Atlas Shrugged is like it's. 
I think a lot of people read that. They're like, wow, that's, that's, that's the answer to everything, right? Like, right. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. And I think she has a, there's a lot in there. But I think that where's the corresponding leftist, like, brilliant theorizing? And I don't think, yeah. it, I don't think, it, I don't think it exists, like, in a way that, that then fuels the practice. And I think this is what you yeah. were, that's, this is a thing you often say that, you know, that we're not going to replace that why theory won't lead in a few years to why practice, right? <laughs> right. Like, like the, 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 the point is that if you have the right theory, the right practice follows, right? Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. that there are, or even better, the right theory is the right practice. And yeah, so I yeah. think that that's, I think that's the, that's the Hegelian response to this. I mean, that's, that's what you could even say, that's what Hegel misunderstands when he says the Al of Minerva line. Like that, yeah. hmm. that even though philosophy does come afterward, it actually, right. the way that it articulates things already sets the stage for what's going to come in the future. Well, that's right? pretty what, good. So like, like he has it, maybe he has it backwards that like the, the owl of Minerva takes flight and then, uh, then, then there's dawn or, you know, or, yeah, or yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. that, that it, it's, it's prior to the, uh, the, the event or, 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 or what have you. I well, because it, because it perfect, like, I think if you, if you understand where things stand, you lay out exactly where things have to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that, isn't that the point? Isn't it the point that, I mean, or I guess, I guess, you know, he would say that there's a radical openness of the future. Mm -hmm. I agree. But the openness is the contours of the openness are set by the un, the theoretical understanding of the situation itself mm -hmm. by the owl of Minerva, like the, what the owl of Minerva does, right? So mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. that that's that seems to me interesting. And then where you go from there, it's a little open, but the the the, the very openings are themselves set. That's interesting. So I think that this goes back to what Slavoj in your in your conversation referred to as the the tragic dialectic. Is that since we have not? I think this is good. I know this is like before the point in your conversation that we were just talking about, but I think that this works really, really nicely because if the point that Marx doesn't contend with and that leftists following Marx have not contended with, which is that by taking by by uh, this flight away from contradiction, Marx unintentionally, unconsciously, if you like, um, prescribes right-wing solutions to, you know, properly like socialist problems. Okay. Yeah. If that, if that is the, what we're going to, what we're going to go with, if that's the actual issue, then the tragic dialectic where like Slavoj talks about where you in, intend one thing consciously and the opposite emerges, like I think May 68 is a great example where yeah. the student revolt like attempted to undermine Charles de Gaulle's power. And it just, reinforced it in a way that like couldn't have actually been thinkable before. Right. Of course it happened that way. It's not actually. So in that way, it, it isn't like, it isn't this, this thing where like, Oh, where like that idea is almost like Newtonian and like you, like every action has an equal and opposite reaction. It's actually far more consonant than it appears at first because what you haven't dealt with is the like undergirding right wing logic of this thing that you think is a left wing action. And so then when the right wing comes, you think it's a boomerang, but actually it's an arrow. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. I think, and I think you're right to say that Marx really 
sets the stage for that in the way that he interprets capitalism, mm. right? In the way yeah. that he, like, what if he said that capitalism is the socioeconomic form not yet antagonistic enough, right? right. not yet <laughs> contradictory enough? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, oh my God, like then, like think about, that would have been the Hegelian interpretation of capitalism. Yeah. And then think of the, di- then you can imagine what the dialectical response would have been politically to that, you know, like Mm -hmm. what Marxism would have been politically, if that would have been his analysis of capitalism, that, that if it, when the proletariat revolution comes, like what it will unleash is a much more profound contradiction Mm -hmm. than we Mm -hmm. have hitherto seen. And then my God, then all of a sudden, well, wait a minute, we don't have any license to kill the peasants because (laughs) precisely that contradiction is the one that's been unleashed by the, you know, that's a much deeper contradiction than the capitalist one. You see, mm-hmm. like, I think, I feel like that that's a, there's a way in which that error like reverberates through mm. the political, re, the political aftermath of Marx. If you think of it in those terms, like I, in terms of, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I think that um, this gets into a little bit of a, uh, again this was at the end of your talk the failure yeah. to properly uh consider what what dialectics is or, or or means because if if you go with the idea that if if you go with uh dialectics is associated with the movement of capital like that's not really hegel's dialectic that's like the idea that oh what dialectics is is thesis antithesis synthesis it right. is idea opposite now we've come together now truth is somewhere in the middle and we're going to go for like like that actually like um i i i always think that i like i detest when people say that because i don't think they anyone who says that like i don't think they have thought this through because like like slavery so the truth was somewhere in the middle there it wasn't abolition it was like well we should have it sometimes and you know what actually we kind of do that (laughs) right now we like like we maybe didn't go far enough with abolition because you know like like the conditions where again the the machines that we're recording this on like the the conditions where where those things were made like 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 that is not like you can't say that's not slavery so um so anyway um but that's I, I think and I think that understanding of dialectics is totally comfortable with capitalism, which is like, OK, well, we had a little bit of a bad thing over here and there's was maybe a good thing. So we'll just like we'll compromise somewhere in the middle. Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's like the gun debate where people are like where where people who think that they're they're on the left side of it is like we just want to make sure the most dangerous ones aren't in people's hands. No. That's no, not a, not a solution. <laughs> like, right, right. Now, yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point. And so that's, that's what Slavoj is talking about at the end about this, what he, I think he associated with Adorno and Marcuse, this, mm-hmm. this reading of Marx and Hegel that sees dialectic as just the logic of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And part of, I mean, it seems to me like, it struck me when you're saying this, this is the Adam Smith version of what capitalism yeah. is. Like Adam <laughs> Smith is a dialectician that, that, you know, you don't know what you're, if dialectics means this, Um, It means you don't know what you're doing and Mm -hmm. you do it. And Mm -hmm. then the opposite results from what you did, right? Like I was just trying to follow my self-interest. I baked these cakes. I sold them to this person and then, and everybody ended up having something to eat. And I had a, and I have jobs, people that got jobs, all these things benefited. Mm -hmm. All these people benefited. I didn't even mean to benefit them. Like that's, and and that's a, that's a very pedestrian notion of dialectics. And I think that's the one that 
Adorno and Marcuse associate with Hegel. And then, mm-hmm. and then Slavoj identifies this with Lukács, that actual dialectics would be this movement beyond capital in mm-hmm. which we're able to see the way in which the, the, what we're, that our action ends up producing something that it doesn't intend at all, but that mm-hmm. actually violates, it doesn't support the logic of what I'm doing. It mm-hmm. violates it. Like mm-hmm. it undermines me. And so I think that's the thing. That's why capitalism cannot be properly dialectical because the, even though it takes what I do, it appropriates it and it, gives it to the benefit of everyone, it never undermines my initial position, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, it supports mm-hmm, it. Right, it right, supports right. my own particular position within the system. But genuine dialectics, the, the moment at which some contradiction becomes apparent and some overcoming occurs, my original position is absolutely undermined. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so I find myself, you know, this is the line we started out with. I find myself radically torn asunder. Like I can't, yeah. and I think that's missing in capitalism. And that's why capitalism cannot really, really be dialectical. And I think that's the key. Mm-hmm. So that's why, again, Hegel is much more the anti-capitalist than Marx, right? Like there's much, there's, it seems like some, and I think this is what Slavoj was getting at. I mean, I, I, I wish that we had actually gotten to the answer, maybe even yeah. in you and I talking about why this persistent identification with Marx, but I don't think that we yeah. have, because I think even at this last point, mm-hmm. we've even, we've come again to why <laughs> he should be identified with Hegel and not with right. Marx. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have a thought on that? Like why this, <laughs> I, I, I just, I find it really, it's, it's hard vexing. for me. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. It's hard for me. I mean, is it that like, well, okay, like maybe, maybe we're looking too hard for an answer and maybe the answer is that people have heard of Marx in, in numbers where people have not heard of Hegel. Yeah. I think that that's just indisputable. Um, and I end that perhaps, I, I don't know, like the only thing that I can think of is that like, b- because, because people have like Jordan Peterson, a 10th grade understanding of what uh, Marx means and what Marxism is. Yeah. That it's easier to overturn that and uh, exploit a gap in knowledge than it is to say, stop thinking about that guy. We're going to talk about another guy entirely. Whole other guy. Yeah. 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 No, I, I got know. you. I got you. Like it, it is, it is like you have to, I guess what you're saying is at some point you have to play the cards you're dealt. Yeah, maybe. Right? Like you just have to play the cards you're dealt and you can't. But there's such a limitation there because that's like, that's our, and I mean, this is kind of funny that we have had what maybe amounts to a circular discussion because (laughs) then, because then that means that you're operating under the uh, premise that you are trying to overturn and uh, like, like you don't want to, you don't maybe want to play with the cards that you're dealt. You want to play another game. Well, see, that's what, it's interesting because that's in some ways that's Slavoj's whole tack that he takes, right? Like, like, this, all this stuff about symbolic suicide, yeah. Antigone, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, the act that fight, take, you know, like the fight club, t- shoot it yourself, mm-hmm. the usual suspects, all these things. He loves this idea of this act that completely shifts the ground that we're, that we're occupying and not playing the, the hand that we're dealt, you know? And so I feel like that's strange that on the question of the signifier, on the question mm-hmm. of the signifier, Marxism as signifier, mm-hmm. that 
he he does I think play the hand that he's dealt to some extent like just yeah. you know and and I think the most obvious one is in the Peterson debate and 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 you know I think that that unfortunately it shaped the first however many minutes of that debate when Peterson launched into this long thing about Marx which could have been just excised from the debate and mm. I do want to say one thing that I had a very sad moment when I was talking to a Peterson yeah. and they came into my house unfortunately but they were they were performing a service <laughs> that sounds worse than it is it was that, just a, that, that does, it was no, a, that's, that's perfect leave it like that okay I will you not pay, explain you paid what them kind for of a service. service I paid them for a service it was not it's, a sexual service it's not a Robert Kraft uh, it was not a Robert Kraft service no um, and and they they talked to, they were just talking to me about the Zizek Peterson debate. So just an, an ordinary person, right? Like mm-hmm. not a not an academic. And this person said to me, "Wow, it was really clear." They're like, "I loved the debate, and I, I loved how Peterson really just, you know, he said his thing at the beginning, and then Zizek just said, "I agree with everything." He just totally caved. And I thought, "Oh my god!" Yeah, like that's how that was read by a Peterson devotee. And I so, thought that yeah. was very sad to me. And I thought, yeah. well, that's, but I think that's the danger. That seemed to me to be the danger, not of the debate. So I didn't think, because no. I, I thought I was happy that she even knew who Slavoj Žižek was now. Mm-hmm. But, but I, she, I mean, this person. <laughs> could have been he, <laughs> um, who knows? Could have yeah. been he, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that, the, but the, the danger was that there was too much of a, there was too much of a, 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 a giveaway in the, in the, in, in giving Marx, being making Marx the signifier, and that gave Peterson this whole platform for launching into a critique of Marxism, so, even if it was yeah. misguided and it didn't yeah. make any sense, and it was you know if it and it focused on the one text and not all the others, blah 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 blah. But it still it kind of it kind of the opening was there. Well, he was validated by the setup, right? You know, I mean, and that's and and that's. That's the danger. Like I, I will. I mean, I will say, like, just to temper that, um, that I do know from just you know uh, reading my email uh, that we have had people find us and our podcast from uh, two things: We're looking for a critique of the left, but from the left, and not finding it in popular media sources. Um, finding the the uh, the Peterson uh, Zizek debate and like wanting to hear more. Like you said earlier, like wanting to hear more from the Zizek side, because I think, you know, when you have a 10th grade uh, understanding of of, uh, political debate, like people will want to go beyond you. Right. Like that's just what's what's going to happen. But for the the, the Peterson side. So we've had people find us that way. So like um, there have certainly been folks. Uh, I mean, maybe this gets into like kind of like a nominalist or quantitative argument. There has certainly been folks who have found us, and I, I imagine if they haven't found us and they're not listening, they maybe found Zizek and maybe they found something uh, that was no. like worth. Yeah, I understand. But, but but the but this is where I'm coming back. To, to, okay. To, but the that doesn't. I don't think it matters. Like I don't think it matters if it's a net gain. I just I think that like it, it is uh, indicative of the problem, which is that if you have um, if you have a setup. If you have a structure that validates the bad take, no matter how good the good take is, then that's a problem. Yeah, but like, don't you think? I wonder if you think it could have been avoided if it was just um, happiness. I oh, happiness. I mean, he's going to be critical of that. But Peterson versus Zizek. 
Like, why yeah. not that? Why not that? Why not that? Or, I would, or, well, I thought the better... Or like right I, versus I, left. I, well, I said, I said this to you before. Like, I mean, really what it should be is happiness versus, versus capitalism. Right. That's really right. what it... That's, or, that's or, what, or yeah. yeah. Or, 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 or happiness versus enjoyment, right? Like, yeah. the, that okay, would be another way to... Like, I think there's a lot of things, yeah. but whatever. There's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking we could do. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, look, I'm glad he... I, in the end, I, I now am I'm not unhappy that he did it. No, <laughs> to put it in terms of happiness. <laughs> in terms of happiness. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, it's good. And I, I mean, and like I, the, I think maybe the, be, the, maybe just the best case scenario is like, you know, uh, is unfortunately like as a, as a step along the way, like, I mean, like what, what Slavo was able to show what it was able to give is, is an opening into like, just like to open a, the, the, a crack in the, the faulty, system if you could even call it that that, that yeah. pe- and again i do i just i you know i want to just throw this out there that peterson is a guy who's only famous or the start of his stardom is that he was taped being awful to uh, a group of students trans trans students trans identifying students who like He's famous because he's awful to a group of people who uh, commit suicide and are abused at rates much higher than the regular population. Like, yeah, that's bad. That's where that guy got his start. And then he went on podcasts uh, like Joe Rogan and, and other places, and he's been on Fox News, and he's talked about this is like a free speech issue. That's how that guy's making his money. All yeah. the while, all the while, just like a short little outburst from me on this, all the while collecting a collectively bargained uh, salary from the University of Toronto. Maybe he wants to like get rid of the, the protections that he has from tenure? No, probably not. Okay, well, so how, what do you have to say for capitalism at that point? Like, it's just, ah, that guy. Yeah, this no, is, well, yeah, I do also guy. want to say something about Slavoj in the debate. So yeah. Peterson made a lot of money on the debate. Slavoj yeah. did not make one cent. So yeah. Yeah. I, I do, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, I think Peterson would say that shows the superiority of capitalism. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. But and, 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 but I mean, isn't that the point? I mean, and, I mean, isn't that the point? Which is that like the only way you would want to be on the side of the exploiter is so you could be the exploiter. Right. But this right, is the right. this is the thing is that you will not get there. Like a hundred people are there, and it's gonna stay that way. Right. You know, right. and and you will not rise to that level. Like. It's and that's the that's the sort of like uh, the Ayn Rand thing, right? Is that like and and Adam Smith? It's like, well, you, if we all just practice our personal freedom, then like you know everyone can be uh, everyone can be happy and accumulate and be great together. Okay, great. So in this society, do people still clean toilets? Like, what happens? Like, are there are, is there still like so like because you're what you're promising at the like at the conscious level at the level of the sentence, you you are totally obviating hierarchy. But that's right. the you know and that's the thing, and you're. Are, promising as we've been said you're promising uh non-contradiction you're 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 you're, you are you are promising utopia and then that always gets foisted on the other side is like that's the great dream that's never gonna happen but no that is the that is the constant dream of the right and that there is always this uh there's always this utopic thing that has happened in the past that we were just what like blithely uh, uh ignorant of and we just need to go back to it Right. Like, yeah, I think Brian. I think yeah. you just hit on what I think is my crucial point that I want to say about about the Slavoj and Marxism question is yeah. that is that I think all utopianism is right wing utopianism, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I know that that's a really really vexed and and maybe wrong thing to say in some ways. But I I really really think that any 
attempt. If utopianism means the overcoming of contradiction, then all utopianism yeah. is right wing utopianism. Yeah. 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 So. No, right. I think that's no, I think that's great, and I think that's you know what. Um, I'm going to put this very, very quickly. The lesson is read the lottery or read the ones who walk away from Omelas. Like, cause that's, um, always this, um, you know, you have this skein of civility that is, um, that is, uh, sustained by like horrible abuse. And I think that that, like that nicely shows the lie of utopia. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, read the and, lottery. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's a good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So we, we, we managed to get through one part of the interview. And so stay tuned for other other parts yeah. Yeah. to come. All right. Over and all out, right. Ryan. Over and out, Todd.